Welcome to the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. My name is Jay O. I am the author of Maximize Your Medicare, published on January 7th, 2020 by Allworth Press. You can get it pretty much anywhere that you can buy a book, online, retail. You can just ask for it at your bookstore. They'll be able to get it for you. The official website for the book, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. Links to all the other podcasts as well as YouTube channel. Official links for important information on Medicare. So the last... Oh, I always forget to do this. It's very important that the market moves here. The world changes. That's part of the message of Maximize Your Medicare. That's the reason that I don't just sit the book out there by itself, is that there are developments. There are news blasts. There are you know, this, that, or the other. It's important that you keep up to date on the podcast as well. So, you know, we can see when people listen to other episodes, et cetera, et cetera. And for example, this period, this first quarter is something called the Medicare Advantage Open Enrollment Period. It is a new period. This period does not exist two years ago. Okay. Your rights and options during this period are different than 24 months ago. So to be referring back to the old edition of Maximize Your Medicare, to be referring back to old editions of the newsletter, this podcast, that won't work. You can see the unifying theme, right? Which is the world is going to change. It's going to have to change just due to demographic and fiscal pressures. In addition to that, you've got carriers who are reacting to a different marketplace in a hyper-competitive world. Okay, last time, last pod, uh, what I mentioned was you know, that the world is becoming more difficult, and one of the reasons is because of Medicare enrollment is just not becoming easier. The bottom line being that people working beyond the age of 65, the underlying reason, of course, is that, well, first of all, people are living longer and working longer. It may be a financial reason that you have, you know, have your retirement savings it are not where they want to be, or some people just desire to work longer. And then, of course, the fact is that Social Security full retirement age is no longer 65. So what used to be the case five years ago, people re would retire at 65, Medicare would start, Social Security would start right at the time you turn 65. All of that is no longer true. And I don't think that I'm making any heroic predictions about the world. I don't think we're going back to the world where... 65 becomes the you know generally accepted retirement age because we already know that that social security the full retirement age is going to go to 67 during the last podcast what i did is you know discussed what happens when you're 65 years old and you're working at a small employer a small employer being you know less than 20 full-time employees and the fact that those that's the definition for Medicare purposes. Now, it is different when you work at a large employer. If you are covered by large health employer insurance and simultaneously enrolled in Part A and Part B or just Part A alone, then the large employer insurance is primary, Medicare is secondary. It used to be the case that people would enroll in Part A and delay Part B. The employer plan would pay for, you know, the 
doctor's visits and other things that would normally have been covered by Part B. But since you waive, you get to keep and not pay for the Part B premium. That is still in case, uh, that is still in fact true. The issue uh, and the twist here, the thing that has changed is the fact that HSA accounts and high deductible plans have become more popular at the large employers. So as a result, what many people do not know is that you can't really have Part A as well as having an HSA account, which is, for those people who don't know, it is a bank account where you you get to deduct on a pre-tax basis the contributions or the deposits into that HSA bank account. So what ends up happening is people have these HSA bank accounts, they deposit, maybe their employer deposits, and later they find out that you can't have Part A and make deposits in the HSA bank account, you're going to have to consult with your consult with your accountant quickly at that point because you may have unintentionally violated uh, you know, a tax regulation. The second complication to this is, you know, what is supposed to happen is your large employer health insurance is primary, as I said, and Medicare becomes secondary under Part A. What and then what happens is since it's primary and secondary, then Medicare is supposed to pick up some of the costs that your large employer health insurance you know, didn't. Now, that sounds fine in theory, and I understand that in theory that that's what you know it says. That all said, I'm not entirely convinced, uh, and I'm just saying so anecdotally, which is that I've not seen that this actually work or work to the satisfaction of basically anyone, meaning that the person, the the employee thinks to themselves, okay, well, I have my employer paid plan and then I have Medicare Part A, which I did not pay premium for, is kind of be like a backup or a secondary insurance, except for you don't know what the rates, what the scheduling, what the cost-sharing responsibilities are. So it can be frustrating. I just want to alert people that it's just not as clean as just to say, well, I'm going to stay with my employer plan and tack on Part A because it costs zero. Well, costing zero may also create this other weird situation where you may have a tax issue. And then in addition to that, that the actual functional functionality of what Medicare Part A was supposed to do as a backup insurance plan to your or a secondary insurance plan to your employer provided plan, whether it works. The real issue here is the fact that actual comparing of your large employer health insurance benefit plan probably needs to be compared with the private Medicare market. And you could hear from the first segment when I was talking about the complication with high deductible health insurance plans and the HSAs and Part A, right? there are more ingredients into the soup now. That has continued to be the case and less obvious, less obvious than the small employer plan, right? Under small employers, you can, if you've listened to the podcast, please do so. Basically, what the conclusion is, is the base case becomes quite clear, meaning that the sticker price of small 
employer health insurance plans is fifteen hundred plus, right? And at the low end, nine hundred. Well, for most Americans, that is a price which is far higher than they would pay for Medicare in the private market. So you'd have to have some special domestic circumstances. And even that needs to be checked out. For example, if you are married, if you had adult children, you know, under the age of 26, et cetera, et cetera, that you needed to cover as dependents, those can be extenuating circumstances, other situations. Even then, you don't really have a conclusion until you actually work through the math of money in order to figure out what is most efficient for you, your household. For large employers, this is less obvious, and in a in a weird way, it is even trickier, because there's no real rule here about how much the employer is going to contribute and how much you have to contribute for employer-sponsored health insurance plans. In some cases, for example, under collective bargaining, where you are part of a union, for example, and you're now 66 years old. Well, it may be that the the collective bargaining has been to drive down your premium to very, very low rates, which can justify delaying enrolling in Medicare Part B and just staying with the large employer plan. That is very, very clearly the case, or very, very is probably a bit strong. But what I'm saying is, is that the premium that you're responsible for under large employer group plans may be low enough in order for you want to stay with your employer-provided plan. Now, you, you know what the benchmarks are, are, right? $144 and change for the Part B premium. You know where Medigap, Medicare Advantage and Part D are quickly to review. Medicare Part D, which is the, a standalone prescription plan, Right in the average of $25 to $35 a month is the practical reality. Medigap, for most persons, if right at turning 65, ranging in the even for the highest quality plans, $100 is a good starting point if you're a female, $115 for a male 65 years old as a starting point, with far superior contracts than you will have under your large employer plan. Medicare Advantage for can be zero dollars a month. Now you have to be enrolled in Part A and Part B, but does that exist? Yes. And I spoke quickly during that part to not get bogged down in the details. The point is that those are your context of price that can be compared to what you're responsible for under your large employer plan. For some of you, it's kind of back to the same conclusion as in if you work for a small employer. So let's just say, for example, you are a single female, you are 65 years old, you work at a large employer, but your employer charges you $400 a month for your portion of the large employer health insurance. Now you can say, if let's say you are a person who makes less than $87,000 a year. In that instance, right, you have the numbers, Medicare Part B 144, Medigap 100, prescription drug plan 25 to 35, depending on your prescription list. You're talking about substantially more, more than $100 a month under your large employer plan, plus, plus, this is the very important part, is 
the deductibles, the co-pays, the out-of-pocket maximum, the terms and conditions under Medicare, very likely to be superior even for very high-quality large employer plans. Is there a shortcut? No. There's not a shortcut to going comparing. And you you know, part of the risk that I run by even, you know, creating these podcasts is that sometimes somebody's going to pull this, their soundbite that they wanted to hear, pull it completely out of context, and then say, you know, make a decision. I'm not suggesting that. Let's just be very, very clear. There's no shortcut to going through and actually comparing. That said, the financial difference, the coverage difference, the quality of coverage difference can be so significant as to warrant it. Okay. In other words, for example, if you take a look at the Medigap market, you're talking about at the worst case, people paying the Part B pre sorry, the Part B deductible, $198 in 2020. And from that, depending on the plan, virtually no out-of-pocket costs for almost unrestricted, unlimited medical service as long as it is approved by original Medicare. Under Medicare Advantage, you're talking about many plans, depending on the location, where the deduct the part the health care deductible is actually even lower than the two hundred dollars, and in some cases zero dollars. So it's just not this blanket statement to say, okay, well, my large employer plan is great because I've been on it for 20 years, etc., and it only cost me four hundred dollars a month. Well, yeah, except for the fact that you could have been on something for $200 a month, $250 a month with far superior coverage. So the bottom line becomes that the comparison would have netted you this 150 times 12, $1,800 in a calendar year, a substantial amount of money to anyone, plus, plus coverage which may be superior under Medicare. My point is that, you know, generally speaking, what people like to do is like they want to say, okay, I want to, don't want to fuss with it. I don't want to change it. But your prob- my point is the book sitting out here, these podcasts, the general message here is that the consumer rights and competition are so heavily in the consumer's favor, right? Meaning that the carriers, they have no choice to accept you under certain conditions when you first turn 65, when you first turn on your Part B. The carriers have no leeway into filtering or rejecting your application. And once in, they cannot, you know, eject you. The uh, Under Medigap, I tell them persons very, very succinctly, tersely, the only one that can cancel is you. Under Medicare Advantage, you're talking about, yes, are there network restrictions? Yes, absolutely. Are there deductibles and copays? The answer is absolutely. There are. Do they have to be examined? No question. We're not debating that. Okay. The issue here now in that particular instance, so under the $400 example where you're a large employer, now that has been driven down to 150 because someone, in theory, depending on where you live and whether these plans exist, and once you get through all this filtering, Medicare costs 145, 
Medicare Advantage is zero, which includes prescription drug plan. This plan does exist in your location in most instances, as long as you have done the other homework to make sure the other moving parts fit. The difference, $250 a month times 12. Okay. 250, 250 times 12 is $3,000. For some of you, in this listening audience, for some of you, for many Americans, many persons who are only, who, for example, want to retire, and then if they were to retire, or maybe they don't have any choice but to stop working, and you only have Social Security as your own, as your main source of income, $3,000 a year difference in premium is a lot. I don't need to, you know, belabor what is, you know, the obvious. My point is that what ends up happening is that people don't know this exists. They don't know, they have no idea of what the math of money look, looks like. They don't know what the context looks like. People don't want change. I get that. That part is human nature. doesn't matter what the age division is. People don't like change. But in this instance, what you have is change may be very, very positive for you. Because the plans are competing with one another in order to win your business. Your rights and options are hugely in your favor. The biggest difference, the reason for these last two pods, is the fact that this is kind of newly discovered by persons who are new to Medicare and, you know, because they've retired. They've called me up at 64 and a half years old, or they've called me up at 64 years old. We'll talk about that in a different podcast. You're late, by the way. Anyway, the point is, is that they call me up at that time. They go, wait a minute, you know, I'm used to $900 a month in insurance. So well, what's going to happen? I say, well, you're looking at $300 tops. They can't believe it. They think that I'm telling them an untruth. I'm like, no, that's actually where it is. And guess what? Your quality of coverage is now astronomically better than what you, anything that you have seen. People have no, are like shocked. The big difference now is compared to five years ago is that this may or may not have been true for persons who are fully employed, but because the Medicare market is so much more competitive, because the employer market is weaker, because the CFOs of companies have difficult financial and demographic choices to make. That once you combine all of these, the decision-making process isn't precisely the same. It has evolved. And the evolutions are worth it and can mean many thousands of dollars to persons if they understand that they're supposed to look. That's it for today. Next time, we're going to have a guest from the health care industry, a consultant. Be sure to subscribe to the channel on, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, write and write, read and, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, rate, read, leave a review, recommend it to your friends, too many people, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, tune in, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
leave us a review, and be sure to give us a five-star rating. I'm Jay. Speak with you next time. Thank you.